Man, I don't know who picked that song. I go away for a couple weeks, I come back to that song. Whose idea was that song? Ethan, was that you? That's a great song. Man, and I didn't even have adrenaline. I've been struggling this morning, but that song. Praise be to God. Man, what a wonderful thing it is to worship the Lord with you all this morning. Good to see you all. It's good to be back. Uh, Yeah. And we are in Genesis, so grab your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 4. But before we dive in, we have our reader come forward, just do a little recap together. Genesis 1 through 3, right right from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Days 1 through 3, he forms the world. Days 4 through 6, God fills the world. Day six, we know there is a pattern shift in how God is creating, right? There's this unique action of God to create men and women in his image, men and women after his likeness. And as we understood, this says a lot about who we are, what we do, and how we relate to our creator. We know in chapter two that Adam was placed in this garden, this garden temple, Why? To enjoy the presence of his God and to work and to worship him. And as he did, the Lord held out for Adam the promise of life. The man served as a priest king in the worship of his creator. All of this was good. Amen? All of this was good. And yet there was something we know that was not good. Adam was found to be alone. There was no suitable helper for him. Therefore, God made a woman. Amen? Come on, fellas. God made a woman. Amen. Amen. From his side, a helper that would correspond to him, an equal, a complement. They would work together in obeying the Lord's command. He would be the responsible head, and she would be the corresponding helper. They were different. We all know that, amen? Right? Men and women are different. But for each other, amen? For each other. And together they would enjoy this wonderful, intimate covenant bond in the context of a marriage relationship. So good. So good. And then chapter 3, we see the entrance into the story, the serpent. He tempts Eve. They fall together in disobedience. Having committed sin, they now fell into sin. And now, clothed, they are expelled from the garden. And yet, Even in the midst of this tragedy, there's hope. You remember the promise the Lord gave. The seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Amen? So here we are. Genesis chapter 4. We have a sense of sorrow. There's a heaviness. There's a tragedy that's taken place. And yet we enter in chapter 4 still with hope with the anticipation of the Lord keeping his promises. So where do we go from here as a human race? How has sin now affected human existence in the world? 
and how and when will the Lord keep his promise to meet our greatest need and fulfill our deepest hope? That's where we are. Let's welcome Lisa D'Alessandro. She's coming forward to read for us Genesis chapter 4. Our passage this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood and from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer sorry, shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. You've spoken to us, and we have heard it. We pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Opening verses, we see that Eve, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the first couple becomes the first family, right? Eve has two sons, right? We see uh, one is Cain, which means to acquire, to get, to possess. With the help of the Lord, Eve has acquired a son, Cain. Also, we're told in verse 2 that uh, Abel was given to Eve. His name means vapor or breath, which may be fitting as we begin to see how the story unravels with his life. Verse 2 tells us that they had different careers, these two brothers. Matter of fact, you start to see a progression of contrast that's taking place between Cain and Abel. They have two careers. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a worker of the ground. 
could say that Cain was a farmer. Both of them, in some way, were workers and keepers. Again, in that language, in keeping with the design and the purpose that God made in mankind. Okay, So don't miss that. Even after the fall in Genesis 4, right? humanity is, yes, living in the reality of sin, but also still at the same time called and expected to, to, expected to live into its creative design, to be working and cultivating the earth. This holds true for us today as well. We're told that as they worked, they worshipped, right? They worshipped, as they did, they would bring an offering to the Lord, right? We're told that Abel brought an offering. It was of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. We're told that Cain brought an offering from his work, an offering of the fruit of the ground. This offering was an act of gratitude. It was an act of humility. They realized that all that they had was a result of the Lord's grace, right? An offering is a, is a response to that. It's, a, it's, an, it's an act that says, uh, I'm inferior and you are superior. This offering was worship. It's interesting to just quickly, even if briefly, like see the connection between worship and work. They worked, and as they worked, they worshiped. They worshiped, right? So when we work, we worship. Everything that we do, we do it all to the glory of God. And then out of our work, we worship. That's an interesting connection to think about, isn't it? Everything is a gift from God that leads us and inspires us to bring a gift to God. That's work. I wonder if that's the way in which you view the work that you do. A gift and an opportunity to bring a gift, an offering and, uh, out of your heart, right? Out of your life and your devotion Worship to the Lord your God. Verse 4 into verse 5 gives us an important comment. As this contrast continues, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. They're both working, they're both worshiping. But we're told here that the Lord regards Abel's offering and not Cain's offering. We see the escalation of this contrast between the two brothers. And so we read that and we can't help but ask, why? Why would the Lord accept Abel's and not Cain's? If you look at the passage, there's no explicit clarity. Like he doesn't tell us right away, the Lord accepted Abel's offering because, or the Lord rejected Cain's offering because. So explicitly, it's not really that clear. But I think as we look at what's going on in the passage, there's definitely some implicit things to notice and observe. Look at the kind of language that describes Cain's offering. It's pretty matter of fact. Cain brought to the Lord an offering. That's it. And you look at Abel's offering... The firstborn of his flock, the fat portions. 
Abel's offering was a reflection of his heart. Abel's offering was his best. His firstborn, his fat portions. That's an important description that we see lacking in Cain's offering, right? And as we understand from the book of Hebrews, which gives us further clarity into what's going on with the difference between these two offerings, we're told this, verse 4, chapter 11, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, by faith, through which he was commended as righteous, by commending him, by ex- uh, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel came in faith. And by implication, I can conclude that Cain did not. Abel's worship revealed his love for and his devotion to the Lord. It revealed his faith. That's why it was accepted. But Cain's worship was unacceptable because it was heartless. It was faithless. Bruce Walke calls this offering tokenism. Tokenism. He did it. We're told he did it. He did it outwardly. Right? He went to church. He sang. He recited the creeds. He took communion. He gave some money. He smiled as he left. But inwardly, his heart was not in it. See, what we see here, the effect of sin on humanity right away, sin has affected the human heart. That's what sin does. Sin affects the human heart. It's part of who we are. It's part of our condition now. We can't not be impacted and affected by it. And we see that in Genesis 4 right away, that sin has poisoned, sin has infected Cain's heart. And what it does is it robs us of the heartfelt devotion and trust that we were created to have in relationship to God. Do you realize that today? Do you know that sin is not just some external issue, but it's something that you deal with in the deepest part of who you are? Sin has affected, infected the human heart. Do you feel the weight of that today? Are you here just to be here? Are you here outwardly? Where are you? Where, what's the status of your heart internally? Cry out to God this morning. If you're wrestling with this, to fill you with his spirit. Cry out to God that he would awaken in you a heartfelt devotion to your Lord, your creator, and your savior. If you're weak in faith, ask for him to strengthen you this morning. He will. And then worship him in faith. The entrance of sin into the world means the infection of the human heart, which leads to and is connected to a second impact that sin is having on humanity right at the, at the start. It means the disruption of acceptable worship. And in some ways, those two kind of come together. They, they coincide. Sin is affecting the human heart, which means that it's disrupting acceptable worship. 
Life for mankind was made to be all about enjoying God's presence. It was all about hearing and responding in obedience to his commands. It was about cultivating his creation in a covenant relationship. It was meant to be a relationship of love, devotion, and joy from the heart. That's what we've been created to enjoy. That's what God's design was all about. That's what life is. Love, enjoyment, worship, and obedience from the heart. Not just religion on the outside. You could say that the heart is at the heart of acceptable worship. The heart. That's what's happened. The story of Cain continues to show this. Look at verse 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Cain compares. He sees the acceptance that his brother receives, and it makes him mad. Right? And, you know, I don't know, maybe that's where I got it from Cain. But I can't hide my emotions on my face ever, right? You ever play me in poker, you're going to win because you know exactly what my hand is, right? Even when I try really hard to smile, you're like, you're like are you mad? Right? That's my son's favorite question. Are you mad? Cain, are you mad? You know, like you, you can't miss it. Cain is mad and it's all over his face. He can't hide his emotion. The Lord sees and knows Cain's heart. I want you to understand that while you might put, a, put on display some outward appearance, you might be real tricky, you will never trick or be able to hide the true state of your heart from the Lord who made you. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. So he sees. In like chapter 3, we see the Lord questions him, right? The Lord firmly and graciously ends up warning him. He says, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, this powerful statement that's been in my head all week, and I hope it's one that's in your head this coming week and in the days ahead that you, that you realize in the moments, your interactions, your conversations, you hear this. If, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. What a powerful metaphor for Cain. What a powerful metaphor for us this morning. It's like this fierce animal on the other side of the door. It's like a, a, a giant cat or a lion or a tiger is waiting in all this like increasing potential energy in its hind legs. Have you ever seen an animal like that, especially a cat? And the minute you open that door pounces on you. He's saying sin's crouching at the door. We wonder why Peter later on in his, his letters calls the devil our enemy this prowling, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let's be clear about sin and the temptation that comes from it. The whole point of it is that it is against us. It wants to kill us. It wants to devour us. It wants to destroy us. That's what sin wants to do. He's saying the desire of sin is toward you. To really understand it, it's against you. That's what sin and the serpent 
and temptation. It's toward us. It's against us. In this world, right, its number one confession is to follow your heart. I think we can listen to this. We hear that, and we're just going to do what we want to do without reference to the Lord's warning. What the scriptures reveal to us. And life can get complex, right? Ethan and I talk all about, about the complexities of applying the word of God to the lives of people that are in difficult, complex, awful circumstances. Like, how do we apply this situation? What the, we understand that. But we must seek to know and understand and hear what the Bible says to us. What Jesus says to us in the word and cry out for clarity and wisdom and strength to obey. We cannot start with the idea first that we're going to follow our heart. That's a lie. And that's what sin does. It lies. It's subtle. It gives us false promises. And the minute we crack that door open, it pounces on us. It seeks to destroy us. And so the Lord graciously warns Cain, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it, Cain. You must rule over it, Mike Maisie. Its desire is for you. You are called to master sin. Sin's a reality that we deal with, and it must be resisted and ruled. If you remember last week, Alex pointed out the connection between this verse and chapter 3, verse 16, right? And the consequences to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's the great failure of man, to take his strength and to sinfully, abusively attempt to rule over his wife. But instead, he's called to rule over sin. He's called to master sin. And so that's how we are to respond to and relate to sin, to seek the Lord for strength so that we can master it and rule over it. And so what does, what does that tell us, right? It tells us about the intentions of sin, so don't be fooled today. Don't give in to the subtle lies and distortions of the enemy. Don't allow your sinful nature to lead you astray. Resist temptation. Stand firm. Put on the full armor of God. Pray. Seek the Lord in his word. Read the Bible. Fight and win. Because he's calling us to gain victory over sin. And those are the ways in which he gives us the grace and strength that we need to win the battle. John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's what sin is doing. That's what sin wants to do in your life. And it's always crouching at the door. It's never a reality that kind of goes away. And so we see what Cain does. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Cain started by presenting a Heartless, faithless offering. He ignored the warning of his creator. He gave in to his anger, and he lost his battle with sin. Cain killed 
Abel, his own brother. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow. If the first response wasn't enough, what a telling response from Cain. Cain plays dumb. I don't know. And then he does what we want to do when we're being called to account for what we've done. We deny any responsibility. In some ways, it's a, it's a new form or twist on hiding that we saw in the last chapter. On blame shifting. Right When we are confronted by our sin, when we're given an opportunity to confess humbly and seek the Lord for mercy, what do we do? We make excuses. What do we do? We shift blame. What do we do? We hide. That's what Cain does. Am I my brother's keeper? What an awful question. You know, the interesting part of that is he's the older brother. And in the absence of the father, guess who is in charge of the household? The older brother. Am I my brother's keeper? The simple answer to that question is yes, you are. And I think that corrects and gives insight into our own lives, right? That's how we were made to be. We were made to be each other's keeper. We were made to be responsible for one another. We were called to love each other, to care for each other, to keep one another. We're not isolated individuals. We are interdependent members of the same family created by God. We are each other's keeper. I want you to understand that this morning. You're responsible for each other, the body of Christ. Their issues, their struggles, their sins, those are your issues, struggles, and sins. And that's what membership is all about in this church, taking responsibility for one another. And you as well, Christian, taking responsibility for someone else to be your brother or sister's keeper. But Cain doesn't want to do that. He's going to play dumb. He's going to deny his responsibility for his brother. And we see that in a very real way, sin has not only affected the human heart, it has not only disrupted worship, but it in a very real way has also severed fellowship. And in some ways, that is, that is what we see taking place here, how sin is continuing, how sin is spreading, how sin is growing, and the awful, tragic impact that it is having on their lives and in some ways, it's very consistent with the kind of things that we struggle with in this life. We have an infected heart, we have uh, unacceptable worship, and we now have severed fellowship with one another. This murder and all that's going on tragically puts that on display. The Lord holds him accountable as he did in chapter 3. The Lord will hold us accountable for our sins. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Your curse, Cain, you'll have no fruit from your labor, and you will have no home. You're a fugitive. You're a wanderer. And Cain hears this, and it's unbearable. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. It's too much. He understands the implications of what the Lord is saying to him. You're driving me away today from the ground, and your face from your face I shall be hidden. He knows that his existence will continue, but it will not be under the blessing of the Lord's presence in his life. It will not be with the blessing of the fruit of the ground. And now he understands that apart from the Lord's blessing, that he's in a vulnerable position. Someone sees me, they're going to kill me. find that fascinating. The murderer is scared to be murdered. Isn't that interesting? Someone's going to kill me. Bro. I digress. He's homeless. He's driven out. He's exiled. But the Lord graciously responds to Cain. <laughs> it's mind-blowing to me, friend, that the Lord is so gracious. Look at what he says. The Lord said to him, not so. Not happening. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. This whole idea of perfect justice. Justice will be maintained according to the Lord's word. But then he says, the Lord put a mark on Cain. Tattoo, I don't know. Put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Shocking grace. Despite his horrid sin, the Lord provides grace to Cain. The most vile of sinners are still recipients of God's common grace in this world. And that's what we see happening to Cain. They could have been immediately wiped out here. He could have been. But the Lord is gracious. The Lord withholds his wrath. Right? At least in an ultimate sense. And he gives Cain common grace. And then, now marked by grace, Cain settles in Nod, east of Eden. What a tragic story. What do we make of all this? As I've said, I'll say again. We look at chapter 4 and we see that sin is having quite an impact on the human race. Right from the beginning. Sin has jacked life up. Just has. It's infected the human heart, the deepest part of who we are. It has disrupted worship, and it has severed fellowship. In some ways, you think about those categories, you see that in many ways, the entrance of sin has caused a comprehensive distortion of being made in the image of God, who we are what we do, and how we relate to God and each other. The image is all jacked up. 
It's there, but it's distorted. The story of Cain reminds us that sin is our greatest problem. Friend, your greatest problem is sin. It was that in Genesis 4. It remains to be the case in 2024. Sin is your greatest problem. Not somebody else's sin. Your sin is your greatest problem. And apart from a gracious work of God, we are left in a condition where we are mastered by sin and enslaved to sin. We are exiled from his blessing. There is no deeper issue to think about this morning than that. That's what this is all about, right? You're dealing with so many other issues Monday through Saturday. So many other things going on. We come to church and we focus on the most eternal, significant issues that we may or may not forget about during the week. This is a moment we think about eternal, most pressing realities. And I'm telling you right now, sin is your greatest issue. You must deal with sin. It's deceit. It, it's crouching at the door. And the minute you open the door, it's going to pounce on you. It's going to destroy you. And we see that that's exactly what's happened to the human race. Mastered by sin instead of masters of sin. Enslaved to sin. And all of this, I think, highlights our greatest need and our deepest hope. We need the Lord's saving grace. That's all that we can put our hope in. There, there's, no, there's nothing else. right? You, we were talking this week, the tendency of the human to think, if I've done something bad, the way to fix it is I do something good. Does not fix it. Does not work. Works don't work. The only hope for you to be to deal with the sin issue in your life is the saving grace of the Lord. And that's what we're reminded of today. That mark on Cain. The saving grace of the Lord. And even as sin has poisoned human existence and left us subject to God's just wrath, there's one thing that we still can't miss, and I presume will be highlighted constantly in the book of Genesis. The Lord's promise still stands. The Lord's promise still stands. The seed of the woman will one day crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Amen? That promise still stood. It's not Abel. He's dead. It's not Cain. He's exiled. We see next week, I'll say this briefly, that Eve has another child, another son that will be born. His name is Seth. And redemptive history will show that from the lineage of Seth, a son will be born who will finally and fully defeat sin and crush the head of the serpent. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. You know what? Let me say it this way. Jesus Christ is all that Cain was not. He is our older brother. I want you to hear this this morning. As sin infects your heart 
as sin disrupts your worship, as sin severs fellowship, the saving grace of Jesus is your greatest need and your only hope. Turn to Jesus. Why? Because he's all that Cain was not. He mastered sin in his life, in the wilderness, by defeating it. And how did he do it? By the power of the word of God. Satan tried to get Jesus, but Jesus got Satan. Jesus won the battle over sin. He mastered it. He lived as the true human that we were intended to be. He mastered sin. He defeated Satan. And he didn't look at his family, his brothers and sisters, in anger and hate and rage and take from them their very own life. What do we see Jesus do as the true older brother? Seeing our condition, we see him in love and devotion to the Father and his very own people giving his life to save. He doesn't take our life. He gives it. Matter of fact, no one took his life, he said, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is all that Cain was not. He is our older brother who lays down his life for us to pay the penalty for our sins. And that's what his death and resurrection accomplishes. I want you to hear that today. You don't work. You know why? Jesus works for you. He works and he keeps in ways that men were intended to. Jesus does all that was necessary. And here's what's wonderful. If we think about the fact that Jesus saves us from our sin in his death and resurrection, and we start to think about the massive implications that that has for our heart, for our worship, and for our relationship with God, check this one out, right? If sin has infected the human heart, it's placed us in a state of spiritual death. Check it. It is the work of Christ by his spirit to cause us to be born again. It is the work of regeneration that Jesus brings by his spirit. Sin affects the human heart. Jesus gives us a new one. That's our brother. Don't miss that today. Turn to Christ in faith. Receive a new heart. And here's what happens. Having receiving a new heart, the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us, the forgiveness of all of our sins, guess what? We're now able to worship God acceptably, covered by the blood of Christ shed for us. You don't, some of us feel so unworthy when we come to worship together. In some ways, that makes a lot of sense. We are unworthy. It's a gift of grace, but at the very same time, as we draw near humbly with a sense of our unworthiness, let's come in confidence because we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. By faith, the blood of Jesus covers all of our sin. We don't have to come into here all shamed and, 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 and just feeling like we don't belong here as Christians. If you've placed your faith and hope in Jesus, the blood of Jesus has sufficiently covered you in all your sin. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You belong here. You're welcomed. You're worthy. Not because of yourself, but because of Jesus' blood, the great, the great brother that we have. And Hebrews 12, 24 tells us that his blood 
speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He even is the, something that Abel was not. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the substitute that paid the penalty, that gives us a new heart, that enables us to worship God acceptably. And last, he's the one that restores fellowship between us and God and one another. What sin has done in severing fellowship, Jesus is the one who brings about in his death and resurrection a real reconciliation with God. He reconciles us. It's the message we preach. We preach peace. It's the same message Jesus preached. Peace to you who are near and peace to you who are far off. All, and the Lord is calling to himself, peace. Jesus is our peace. He restores us into fellowship with God. The very life you were meant to have, Jesus' death and his perfect brotherly love on the cross and in his resurrection, it is giving you back the life you were meant to have, relationship with the God who made you. Not only do you know him, but he adopts you into his family. Friend, you are a son and daughter of the creator of the universe. And you're restored to that blessing and that joy. Turn to Jesus in faith. Look at the story of Cain. See the way of Cain, but turn your heart and the orientation of your life to the totality and comprehensive faith and trust and hope and allegiance to Jesus, your true brother. Do that today. Do that. Don't leave today without super clarity and assurance that it's all in Jesus, that, that, that it's as sin is affecting your heart and disrupting your worship and severing fellowship with God, that it is the saving grace of Jesus Christ that's your greatest need and your only hope. Receive that today. Turn to Jesus in faith. Receive. Return from exile. Live in God's blessing. Enjoy his family and love and serve your siblings. What an awesome thing. Such a tragedy, but if we understand the great grand story of redemption, such a wonderful, wonderful display and highlighting of God's grace. You say, I've already done that. I placed my faith in Jesus. Okay, great. Praise be to God. Welcome to the family. Now continue to seek the Holy Spirit to enable you to have an enduring faith. A faith that worships God out of the depths of your heart. A faith that rejoices in the ways in which others live in a God-pleasing way. I began to think about that yesterday. I'm like, imagine if Cain had just, wow, man, yeah, man, I had a tough day. My heart wasn't in it. But instead of being mad at Abel for his offering, mad at God, imagine if Imagine if Cain just said, praise God for my brother, his offering, his worship. I'm glad to see him having sweet fellowship with his creator. I think so often we look around the room and we think, oh man, they're gifted, or they have this, or this is going well in their life, and we get mad. Right? That's, that's not how we should treat each other as siblings. We rejoice in each other's life that is pleasing to God. We praise God and we learn from each other. We're also encouraged to heed the, the gracious warnings of God in the Bible. I was impressed on my heart again. 
the grace of God to even warn Cain. Like, the Lord is warning us about the crouching nature of sin right here. Don't ignore it. Heed it. Receive it. And then master it. This is a call to sin mastery. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? And what does Paul go on to say? Don't present your members to unrighteousness. Because you're alive to God and dead to sin, don't present your members to unrighteousness. Don't give yourself over to sin. Don't crack the door. It's going to pounce on you. Resist it. Master it. You say, I'm weak. I can't. I'm with you. God is gracious, and he's going to give you the power and the ability by his Holy Spirit that lives inside of you to conquer and master sin, progressively sanctifying you in the days ahead, maturing you and preparing you for the one day that you will be face-to-face with your brother, and you'll be holy in his presence. That's why you were made. That's why you were saved, to live a life of joyful blessing and worship in the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I could go on. I won't. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and all you've taught us here. There's so much in Genesis, Lord. That's what we're seeing. So much you want to teach us. So much we need to know. So much we need to apply. Father, would you please draw us to faith in Christ Jesus for salvation and for sin mastery. Thank you that you are gracious and your hope has, the hope that you've given us has been fulfilled in him. May our hearts and our affection and our allegiance be all toward Christ. Help us to gain the victory over sin in our lives, Lord. Be glorified in us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.